Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 507 for August 21st, 2016. This week, if you use an Android tablet or smartphone to send and receive mail, there's an app you should look at. Business email compromise attacks have become the in thing for scammers. In short circuits, no operating system is perfectly safe, but a surprising find shows that even operating systems that are considered to be more secure sometimes aren't. USB-C is just around the corner, and faster speed isn't the only advantage it'll bring. Trying to extort half a billion dollars from the National Security Agency, the Social Security Administration has decided not to require two-factor authentication after all. In spare parts, only on the website, crowd-based research is being used to fight diseases such as dengue fever, Zika, and malaria. And there's lots of competition for the operating systems that will run our future automobiles. Sending email from a handheld device, while possible, isn't likely anybody's first choice. Most of the email applications I've tried for my Android tablet and smartphone have ranged from okay to horrible. Canine Mail seemed to offer the most features. Then I encountered Aquamail. Setting up email accounts in Aquamail was surprisingly easy. Many apps do a good job if you're connecting them to Hotmail, which is now called Outlook, Gmail, or one of the more common providers. I send and receive mail via my Internet Presence provider, so I need to set up accounts on Blin.com and TechBiter.com. My preference is to use the IMAP protocol for portable devices and then POP3 on the desktop system. IMAP leaves messages on the server. POP3 downloads them to the computer. The app supports SMTP for sending messages and encrypted connections can be set up for both sending and receiving. Users who want to receive mail via their own domain but send messages using Gmail or their own internet presence provider can do so easily. Aquamail is also supposed to be able to support Microsoft's Exchange Web Services protocol. I haven't been able to test that. The free version supports up to two email accounts, and it adds a promotional notice at the bottom of each message you send. Upgrading to the Pro version costs all of $5, a one-time fee, and makes it possible for Aquamail to be set up with more than two accounts, and the promotional message is also omitted from sent messages. Users can also establish account aliases in the Pro version. Users can view messages from each account individually or use the Smart Folder that shows messages from all accounts. The Smart Folder shows messages that have been sent, have been read, and that have arrived but have not yet been read. Messages can be marked with a star, and Aquamail can be set to include or exclude these messages in the Smart Folder. For an Android application, Aquamail has an astonishing number of features. There are UI settings for the overall color scheme, light or dark, how many lines of a message will appear in previews, how the sender and subject are displayed, the size of the type, and quite a bit more. 
When I send a message from a mobile device, I almost always want to send a blind copy of that message to myself, so I'll have a record of it on the main computer. But I also frequently forget to do that. Aquamail makes this really easy. Each account has an option to send a blind copy. Just select BCC to self and specify the address you want to use. If you use Gmail, your email application will need to support OAuth 2. That's Google's preferred method for apps to log into your account. Aquamail does that. This keeps an app from needing to know, store, or transmit your password. Instead, at setup time, you select a Gmail account that's already present in the device's system settings, and Aquamail will request permission to access the account's email messages. There's no need to enter your password into the program. This is also supported for Hotmail, now called, as I mentioned before, Outlook. So the bottom line for Aquamail, five cats, this is the best email client I've seen for Android devices. And even if I didn't want to enable more than two accounts, or use account aliases, and even if I didn't mind having the advertising message at the bottom of every message I sent, I'd still pay that tiny registration fee. The price should be at least double what's being asked, and probably even double that. Aquamail is an incredible bargain. Additional details are available on the Aquamail website or via the Google Play Store from your Android device. You'll find a link to the Aquamail website on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Folks who brought us the Nigerian prince scams are back with a new way to separate people from their money, and dark-reading executive editor Kelly Jackson Higgins says it has been successful in making millions of dollars for the scammers. The article quotes James Bentke, a researcher at SecureWorks, describing the crooks as respected family men and leaders who are devoutly religious. They have Bible quotes on their desktops. And the scam itself is characterized as an evolved Nigerian scam. Researchers got to look inside the operation when a man in charge of one group apparently infected his own machine with his own malware. That left enough of a trail for the sleuth to figure out exactly what the group does and how. The article says that scammers steal email credentials from legitimate business people so that they can intercept business transactions and then send the money to their own accounts. Unlike the traditional Nigerian 419 scams, Higgins writes, this new generation of Nigerian scams is employed not by college-age scammers, but by men in their late 20s to 40s, many of whom are considered to be pillars of society, active in their churches and communities. Nigerian authorities reportedly are investigating the operation that's believed to make $3 million per year for the 40 or so people who are involved. Batke at SecureWorks says his people simply stumbled across a web server with a wide-open web directory that contained screenshots and keystroke logs from the group's operation. Among the screenshots, Batke says, were the scammers' instant messaging, Facebook, and bank accounts. We saw their day-to-day -day operations, he said. Another scammer who was recently arrested appears to have made $60 million from business email compromise attacks, the FBI says that nearly 18,000 known victims have reported losses of more than $2 million. Obviously, there's a lot that hasn't been reported. The full article is on the Dark Reading website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
In short circuits, pop quiz time. Here's the question. Is any operating system perfectly safe? The short answer to that is no. A slightly longer answer is hell no. An even longer answer, what kind of an idiot would ask a question like that? Linux, which has generally been considered to be safer than Microsoft's Windows or Apple's OS X, has some serious security shortcomings. I don't write about Linux a lot because it has such a tiny market share of desktop systems. Linux, however, is the de facto operating system of the Internet. It also runs millions of Android devices. Some 80% of Android devices are vulnerable, and the flaw allows attackers to identify hosts that use TCP, that's the Transmission Control Protocol, and then either end the connections or stage an attack. Is this a new bug, you might be wondering? Well, if you consider a bug that was introduced in 2012 to be new, then yes. In a presentation at last week's Usenix Security Symposium in Austin, researchers from the University of California at Riverside described the flaw that exposes thousands of websites to attack. The researchers injected code into a live USA Today page. The Linux bug is only part of the problem. USA Today doesn't use encryption. Linux is the most common operating system for websites. This flaw means that thousands of websites, and possibly millions of users, are now at risk. Check the TechBiter Worldwide website for a link to a long article about Linux security, if you're interested in Linux security. Coming for USB, many users seem to think that a rule exists for USB plugs. No matter which way you try it the first time, you will be wrong. Sometimes a single rotation fixes the problem and you can plug it in. In other cases, the plug needs to be reversed a second time. Fortunately, some plugs have ridges or bumps on one side, so the user can remember whether the bump should be up or down. All that's about to change. USB-C is a new standard that's been developed by the USB Implementers Forum. Some 700 companies are members of that group. USB-C is kind of like micro-USB, but not quite. It's slightly thicker, so it won't fit in a micro-USB slot. It's faster because it supports USB 3.1, which is twice as fast as USB 3.0. The connections will be on some Apple devices, even though Apple has Thunderbolt for data and MagSafe for power. In addition to the speed, USB-C doesn't have an upside or a downside. It will fit either way. It took only 20 years for the USB folks to figure this out. The USB-C port can be used for DisplayPort, HDMI, Power, USB, and VGA connections, but not for Thunderbolt. Expect to see some Ethernet adapters that plug into USB-C slots, too. One of the first docking stations available for the USB-C interface comes from StarTech. The dock works with any USB-C-enabled laptop, such as the new MacBook Pro, Dell XPS, or Chromebook Pixel, to connect with peripherals, so it can be a full desktop workstation. The dock supports power delivery to the laptop and devices connected to it, so only the dock's power adapter is needed to power the laptop and all devices. That eliminates the need to have a power adapter for each device. With MST technology enabled, 
The laptop screen can be expanded to two DisplayPort monitors. By the way, that won't work on a Mac. If you'd like more information on that dock, see StarTech's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Shadow Brokers, a group of hackers, wants the National Security Agency to pay them one million Bitcoin. That's more than half a billion dollars. The NSA would have to pay that if they want to recover some cyber warfare technology that the group claims to have. The group claimed to have hacked its way into the Equation Group, which is thought to be a front for the NSA. Their message, not particularly grammatical, was clear enough. I quote, Attention, government sponsors of cyber warfare and those who profit from it! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. How much you pay for enemies' cyber weapons? We find cyber weapons made by creators of Stuxnet, Dooku, Flame. We follow Equation Group traffic. We find Equation Group source range. We hack Equation Group. We find many, many Equation Group cyber weapons. Well, that was the message. Cyber weapons are considered to be good if we use them. For example, the U.S. and Israel are implicated in the Stuxnet attack against Iran. Cyber weapons are considered to be bad if someone else uses them against us. The illogic of that would have been apparent to George Orwell, the author of 1984. Computer firm Kaspersky has provided evidence that links equation to the NSA and to Stuxnet. The shadow brokers posted some of the data they stole, including installation scripts and configuration files for command and control services. They included names of some of the tools that matched those revealed by Edward Snowden in 2013, but that raises another question about whether they actually have the information or whether they're just mimicking information that's already been made public. So far, the NSA isn't paying, and it's unclear whether this represents an actual breach or whether it's just an audacious fraud. The Social Security Administration announced plans last month to strengthen security on its website. Account holders were told that they needed to provide a cell phone number that the SSA could use to send an eight-digit code that the user would need to provide at login time. The announcement was not met with enthusiasm. Just about any cell phone, even one that's 10 years old, or in many cases even older, would be able to accept a text message. Probably some people didn't know that, and the SSA didn't explain it very well. Well, now the phone requirement has been removed. The agency has posted a message on the site noting that it has removed the requirement to use a cell phone to access accounts, but that it's still recommended. We encourage those of you who have a text-capable cell phone, the message says, to take advantage of this optional extra security. We continue to pursue more options beyond cell phone texting. The SSA neglected a low-tech solution, 
sending a one-time code using the U.S. Postal Service. That, in fact, would be more secure because the recipient of the message would have to be physically at the location on the envelope. The SSA could simply add the security component to messages that they already send out when people sign up online. The problem with the phone security option is that anyone can sign up and provide any phone number. That's really not very secure. Thieves can still create an account for anyone who doesn't have one. So, if you have a social security account and you have a cell phone that can accept text messages, adding the security option is a good idea. During the sign-up process, the SSA uses several knowledge-based questions to authenticate a person's identity. These include questions about previous addresses, loan amounts, and other information that most people would believe would be known only to the person signing up for an account. But Equifax knows the answer. In fact, that's the service that the SSA uses to check your answers. Crooks can gain access to that information, or they can use Facebook or lots of other social media or other websites to gather information about a person's history. In other words, safety is not assured. Even if you're nowhere near the age when you need to sign up for Social Security, there's nothing to keep you from signing up right now. The SSA allows only one account to be created for any Social Security number. So, once you've created an account for your number, no crook can create an account for your number. And there are no crooks or account numbers in spare parts, only on the website. This week, crowd-based research is being used to fight diseases such as dengue fever, Zika, and malaria. And there's lots of competition for the operating systems that will run our future automobiles. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.